I thought the problem was stuff, that I had too much stuff. And the problem wasn't stuff, it was so much deeper than that. And I had to ask the question, what am I really hungry for? Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast. It's a podcast for people who want to read more books and want to be at a book club, but really don't have time to do either. So I take care of that for you. And if the one word you would use to describe your life right now is just overwhelmed, there's just too much stuff, too many things to do, uh, too many things to pay for, you might need to just unclutter your life. And Courtney Ellis wrote a book called Uncluttered. She's hanging out in the 30 Second Book Club this week. I started this book because I was at this place of being so overwhelmed in my, really in my entire life. I was overwhelmed with almost every area of my life. And when you're that overwhelmed, it's really hard to figure out where to begin, uh, how to make it better. And so I started by stopping. I, I stopped buying new things. I stopped signing up for new events. I stopped putting stuff into my calendar. I stopped using um, digital technology to the same extent that I had been. And um, little by little in those open spaces, I started to realize there was a whole different way to live, a better way to live, a way that God invites us into where we're not overwhelmed and overburdened, but instead we're able to really receive the love and grace and hope he wants to give to us. Yeah, and you start, and I, again, I've, I've highlighted so much of this. This is such a good book. But I, I think, I'm sure you probably learned this early in your uncluttering journey. Uh, you talked about that God is not a God of stuff. Yeah, you know, you you hear about all these wonderful stories in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where people are invited to follow God. And in the Old Testament, you've got to pick up and walk. So what can you carry with you? And in the New Testament, Jesus says, you know, don't don't take an extra coat for the journey. Just come and follow me and I'm going to provide for you. And we've really begun to live differently than that, especially in American Western culture. We, we have way too much and we feel like we can protect ourselves against every possible scenario. If we have 18 jackets and 15 pairs of shoes and 30,000 books, you know, and, and it's not grace, it's burden. The more stuff we have, the more we have to care for that stuff. We've got to store it. We have to dust it. We have to clean it. We have to move it. We're in a really transient culture. Every time you've got to pack a box, of your stuff. You're like, do I even like this stuff? Do I need this stuff? And actually God calls us to live in freedom and the less stuff we have, the more freedom we have. All right. And I, and maybe that's a little hard for you to kind of wrap your mind around, but uh, in Courtney, Courtney Ellis's book, Uncluttered, Cluttered, she, she digs deeper because uh, there is a deeper desire than just for stuff. And you talk about how, you know, that hunger that you had or have, I mean, I'm sure you still have issues with this for maybe like a quick purchase going to the target. Uh, it was masking a deeper God given hunger. Yes. And that's where, that's where this book makes me really excited. And the journey made me really excited because I thought the problem was stuff that I had too much stuff and the problem wasn't stuff. It was so much deeper than that. And I had to ask the question, what am I really hungry for when I buy a sweater off the target clearance rack? what need am I actually trying to fill if I don't really need a sweater? Because we need we need some stuff, right? My kids need clothes to wear and we need books to read and pots to cook in and things like this. But when it starts to become excess, we're really trying to feed a different hunger, a different need. And 
I'm a mom of young children. I've got a seven-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old and a baby that turns one tomorrow. And I was really hungry for newness and novelty. And so much of my life was cleaning up the high chair again and doing the laundry again, that to walk into a store and pick out something new just felt magical. It felt so great, but it felt great for 20 minutes. And then I had to shove a sweater into my drawer where it didn't fit. And then it wasn't great. And so I had to say, what would feed that hunger in a deeper, more lasting way? And I realized I was hungry for newness and novelty. So that meant let's go to a different park to play with the kids today. Or um, let's get a new book from the library that we can return later. And it feeds that sense of newness and novelty, which isn't a bad thing to be hungry for. You know, mundane routine can get really old, uh, but we can feed those hungers in ways that are more life-giving and less draining in the long term. And and there's some simple tips in your book as well that, that, I mean, this could transform somebody's life right now if you just pop open your phone and you talk about unloading your phone, which is something that you did. You, you did this as well, right? I did. My phone is still unloaded. I, I realized that my digital devices were running my life. And the hard thing with technology is it's always changing and innovating. And it often innovates faster than we can really prepare ourselves for it. And instead of asking, is this good? Will this make my life better? We just say, oh, it's new. It must be good. And we just adopt it. And I realized the first thing I was looking at in the morning was my phone. The last thing before I went to bed was my phone. A thousand times throughout the day, it was my phone. And for a while, I tried to rely on my own willpower. Like, oh, I'll just I'll look at my phone less. I'll look at social media less. I won't check my email until we're done at, at the soccer game. And I, I realized my willpower isn't strong enough. And there are a thousand engineers on the other side of that phone screen that make money if I click and scroll. And so it's me versus a thousand. It's not even just me versus me. So uh, I started this and my husband actually, after a couple months was like, I'm doing this too. We, we unloaded our phones. So we don't have an internet browser on our phones. We can't get online. We use our phones. We have a Bible app. We use them for texting, for directions, for GPS, um, and for actual phone calls. And it's been such a game changer. I don't roll over and check my phone first thing because there's not that much on it. It does what it's supposed to do. And then when I need to send an email, check social media, I have to go all the way to my computer, which uh, puts a safeguard between me and just mindlessly checking and clicking and scrolling. Being uncluttered in your life, it's not just staying away from the target runs, which don't matter, (laughs) which you don't need, and unloading your phone. I love that you have a whole chapter just talking about unloading your schedule too and uncluttering that. And just talk a little bit about what someone can do to say, I, I mean, I think we're all there. We're overbooked. We're overwhelmed. How do we pull back when it comes to our schedule? Right. And this is often the trickiest one. I, I meet a lot of folks who pick up my book because they're interested in uncluttering their closet or their bookshelves. And then they're like, oh, and then it got really it got really hard because it kind of hit me right in the soul, right? The, the, the clutter of schedule is, in a way, it's the American problem. We are so overbooked and we are so overwhelmed. And God really had to teach me that every yes I say to an event, to something I put on my calendar, every yes is a no to something else. It's no to time with my family. It's no to time with the Lord. It's no to the rest that my body and soul so desperately need. And so we need to all get into a pattern of really weighing those yeses and deciding, am I saying yes out of obligation or because I feel like I should, or because this is what everyone is doing. Uh, We have 
at the time I wrote the book, our oldest was five and I live in Southern California where it's a very competitive culture and people kept saying, oh, he's not in soccer yet. He's going to be behind. He's going to be behind, but he wasn't interested in soccer. And so rather than throw that onto our schedule and now spend the little free time we had at the soccer field, we, we thought, what is he interested in and what would be restful for our family? And he loves the library and going on long walks. And both of those things were unscheduled. They fed his soul. They fed our souls. So to ask those hard questions before we just say, well, everyone is doing this, or I should, or I have to, or this is a good thing, so how could I possibly say no? We have to start weighing those yeses and nos really, really carefully and holding them open before the Lord, who's really faithful to say, this is a no you need to say, or this is a yes you need to say, and I will take care of the rest. So you talk also as as you go through the un, the uncluttering part, I think a lot of people would be surprised. Then you talk about um, the secret of simplicity. And you talk about, you know, the importance of forming habits. And one of those habits is a, a habit that, I mean, honestly, in my family, uh, I get out, I did not go to church on Sunday. And yeah. it was one of those things where um, I was, I was ready to go. Then my wife said, well, I'm not feeling that well. And so we just ended up not going, not throwing my wife under the bus, of course, but just, you know, that's what happens. There's always something where like, okay, well, we were going to go. And then we decided not to because of A, B, or C. And you talk about, um, the importance of going to church and, and making it a, a habit and a regular thing too. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important thing, the most important thing is not going to church. And there are going to be those weeks where someone is sick or you're traveling and you can't get there. And for some people, they're in a season where, you know, church is hard for them. You know, maybe it's, it's Mother's Day Sunday and you've just been through a miscarriage or, right? Like, and you can't go that Sunday and like God is still present with you. But the overarching principle I talk about in the book is just the principle of God first. The secret of simplicity is letting God order our lives. So if if I'm saying, okay, God first, then what's the decision I'm going to make about my Sunday? Most often that's going to be to go to church, but there might be a Sunday where there's a neighbor in crisis and they need to move and they need some help. And God is like, help your neighbor. When we say God first, then it's not, okay, soccer is more important than everything else. Or my, my work schedule is more important than everything else. It's God wants me to care for my soul. God wants me to care for my neighbor, my family, my marriage, and nurture these things. And suddenly the rest of the priorities start to be really, really simple because God has a way of setting our lives in the proper order and in the proper space because God wants us to flourish. God wants us to have healthy souls. And when we run around so frantic and crazy and overscheduled and overstuffed, we're not honoring God and we're not honoring the people he's created us to be. You talk about a little bit about this. You know, we talked about church, and then you talk about kind of the idea of Sabbath and just unplugging for a day. It doesn't necessarily have to be Sunday, but just talk about the importance of how that helps unclutter your life when you say, I'm not going to go 24 7, 100 miles an hour for all seven days of the week. More than anything else in the book, this was a game changer for us and for our family. We, we really doubled down on Sabbath, on, on having one day a week where we are off the grid. We are off of our digital devices and we are going to, uh, Eugene Peterson, the author Eugene Peterson says that Sabbath is a day to pray and to play. And so that is our Sabbath. We start it with donuts. The kids get donuts. Uh, so they're excited for Sabbath. <laughs> and we just rest and we just enjoy each other and enjoy God's creation. And we 
we have young children. So one of the gifts my husband and I give each other is an hour or two to ourselves, which we so rarely get to go be with Jesus and, and pray and journal and remember that the work is the Lord's, that ultimately every piece of our life is a gift from him. And Sabbath orders the rest of our week. It orders the rest of our days. It orders the rest of our schedule in such a beautiful way because there's such grace in stopping. We work so hard and we run so fast. And now, you know, our, our office is now in our phone and it's in our house and it's in our bedroom and it's everywhere. And to be able to say one day a week, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to check my email and I'm going to trust that the work is the Lord's. It has been a game changer for our marriage, for our family, and and for our souls. So it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the way this book is structured, you talk about uncluttering your life, and then you kind of talk about adding things to it towards the end, including hospitality, which you say, you admit, uh, if you're an introvert, this is really difficult. And how do you break through that? And then what does hospitality look like um, in your life and in your house and things like that? I love that question because I I set out to write a book about having less and doing less, right? The book is called Uncluttered. And the most beautiful surprise in writing this book was that as I began to unclutter my schedule and my home and my digital life, God was like, oh, good. Now you have space for what I really want to give to you for these blessings that are not are not material things. Now you have time, now you have room. And one of the most surprising gifts for me was developing a deeper understanding of hospitality. And I grew up with an understanding that hospitality was having a beautiful home, inviting people over for a fancy meal, and then you go, they go home and you're exhausted, right? So who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. I have little kids, everything in my house is sticky all the time, right? Like it's just, no matter how much we clean because of little kids, everything is a little sticky. So I, God was like, no, 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 that's not hospitality. The heart of hospitality is, is just welcome welcoming a neighbor, welcoming a stranger. That might be in your home. It might not be in your home, but it's not about being Martha Stewart. It's about noticing people in your life who God is bringing to you to to love on. And so one of the things we've done recently is we have these wonderful neighbors across the street who also have a bunch of kids and we threw a block party this summer. And all we did was buy hot dogs and sparkling water and, you know, bring a speaker outside and play some music. And all the neighbors came out and we had this wonderful time. The kids played, the adults got to know each other and everyone in the neighborhood brought stuff. So it wasn't that I needed to be cooking for three days. It's just that I needed to say, hey, we want to spend time with you. We have this time. We want to spend it with you. And suddenly God opened up all these doors to friendship, all these doors um, to greater community, just because we finally had time to do something like a block party. We couldn't have done this before writing the book. There was no time. There was no space. So as we unclutter, God begins to say, hey, look at that neighbor over there. That's going to be a great friend, but you need a little time to talk. Or look at that mom in the preschool pickup line. Or look at that dad who sits a couple cubicles away at your office. Um, That's a great friend for you. And now that you have time, let me bring those gifts into your life. Hospitality is a gift. It's not a, it's not pressure. It's not to do it's, it's gift. Well, and as you talk about, you know, listening for what God says, Hey, you should talk to this person, that person. I think a lot of people would say, uh, Courtney, I'm not sure if I've ever heard God speak to me. And I, I think because you, you talk about this in the book, in your book uncluttered, maybe that's because our lives are too cluttered. We, we haven't left margin to hear from God. 
Yeah, there's really something to that. When I talk about God speaking to us, it's not an audible voice from heaven, but you know, God kind of tugs on our hearts a little bit. Like you might be waiting at the bus stop and God tugs on your heart, like see that, see that woman, like pray for her. Maybe you don't even go up and speak to her, but God does these little tugs on our hearts. And it's really hard to sense those little winds of the Holy Spirit when we're constantly on our phones or when we are so overscheduled that all we can think about is the next appointment we have to get to, right? If you're sitting in traffic and the light turns green and before even a second has gone by, you're honking at the person in front of you, that might be a sign, right? That there's that there's some clutter there and it's hard to hear from God when we're running. And this shows up all over scripture. I love the story from 1 Kings chapter 16 where Elijah goes up on the mountain. He's so frustrated and exhausted and he wants to hear from God. And all these natural disasters come through, right? The mountain shakes with an earthquake. And the text says, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there's a mighty rushing wind, but God is not in the wind. And there's a fire, but God is not in the fire. And after all of these loud, bombastic things, there is a silence. And then there's a gentle whisper. And the Bible says, and God spoke to Elijah. And often that is how God speaks to us. But if all around us is shouting and running and hurry, it's almost impossible to hear that voice. You lay out some rules about how it's easy for us to say we're going to do something for ourselves, but then to pass it down to the kids, especially when they complain and they cry to mom. (laughs) Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Uh, You talk about some of the rules that you have for your kids to keep them uncluttered. And I I thought rule number six was really powerful, that we're going to allow our kids to be bored. Yeah, it's countercultural, isn't it? Like There's this idea we have to stimulate our kids all the time and otherwise they won't grow up and be brilliant and get into Harvard. And it's so much pressure, but we're finding actually, and there are a lot of studies coming out um, that kids, when they're bored, that's when creativity really lights up. That's when they learn how to um, figure out what they are interested in and what they want to pursue. And so often we find my husband and I, that the kids kind of reach this fever pitch after about 10 minutes where they're bored and they want to be entertained. And can we watch a show? And why are we sitting here? And, you know, after about 10 minutes, suddenly there's this spark that goes off and one of them will pull out a bin of Legos and the other one goes out to the yard and they've realized like, oh, 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 this is what I wanted to do. But just like us, without those spaces and silences, it's hard for kids to start to know who they are and who God is calling them to be. So when that gets the loudest, if we're patient for a few more minutes, often that is where kids really start to to buy in and to to enter into play. I underlined a whole bunch in this part about tithing because I've I've always been pretty for the most part good about that, but still sometimes it's just hard to, to do that still, just because I do it doesn't mean that I'm always like happy about giving 10%, right? And you talked about, you, you, you put a, you put it in a really cool perspective. I don't think I've thought about before uh, about, you know, it's about deciding which of the following things we allow to reign in our hearts and our families, trust or worry. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I tell people I I'm good at tithing because I'm bad at math. (laughs) <laughs> right. I'm like 10%, 20%, whatever. It's all good. And, and I've learned uh, in the last few years how to do a budget and look through those numbers. And that was the first time for me where it really hit me. And I was like, oh my goodness, like we could really use this money. Like this is a lot of money. And, and, you know, to give God 10% is a significant thing to do. And, 
Um, you know, my husband who is great at math and has known this our entire marriage was like, yeah, don't go there. Like, don't go, don't go down that route. It is not our money. It's God's money. It's God's money. And he's like, you know, it's a really good deal, actually 10% because God technically owns a hundred. Um, and this principle of we're going to give to God first and God's going to take care of the rest has borne such fruit in our life because it does teach us to live in this relationship of dependency. So rather than this relationship of control where we're like, God, I'll trust you, but I'm going to do what I need to do with my finances to say, God, you know what I need. You know what I need before I even ask. So I'm going to give this to you and trust that you're not just going to provide for my needs, that you're going to provide for things that I, I don't even know that I need. Um, and that's a, it is a hard thing. And I share in the book, there was a season when my husband and I were in graduate school and we had $8 in our bank account. You know, we just say like, God, we would love to tithe, but there's nothing there. There's just nothing there. And we have those seasons. And in those seasons, God is so kind to us. And God is not saying, you know, I'm really disappointed in you for, for not having more money to give to me. Um, but then when we're able to start again, to make that a founding principle. Um, and it's interesting. There's so many studies that show actually the less money people make, the more likely they are to tithe. And so there's this idea that when we start tithing a little, those principles can grow with us. And then when we do get out of graduate school and, and get a job for the first time, suddenly that tithing path has already been paved and it's easier because we've been walking that road for a while. Final question about uh, your book, Courtney, uh, Uncluttered, again, fantastic book, Free Your Space, Free Your Schedule, Free Your Soul. Uh, why do you say that worship is the ultimate uncluttered act? This book continually brought me to my knees, and not just because I had deadlines that I needed to meet with it, although that was, that was a piece of it. Um, but worship is this place that brings us before God just as ourselves, right? We don't come with our closets full of clothes and we don't come with our calendars full of events. We just stand before God as his sons and daughters and worship orders the rest of our life. The rest of our life flows out of worship. It's not something that's one hour a week church service. It's this posture of living a life of worship before God, where we say, God, all I am is yours. All I have is yours. Show me how you want me to live. Um, and it, it was a fundamental reshaping for us. Even though my husband and I work at a church, we, we serve in ministry to realize again and again that all we are, all we have comes from God and what freedom there is in that and what grace there is in that, that it's not about having to achieve something or accomplish something or have enough of something. It's about walking with this God who created us, who knows what we need and who loves us enough to go to the cross for us. It reorders everything for us. And I think at the end of the book, writing this book, um, what surprised me the very most was that an uncluttered life is such a life of freedom, that our stuff can be bondage, that our schedules can be can feel like chains, uh, but God in every area of our life just wants to set us free. That's the kind of God he is. It's hard to hold on to faith when God feels like he's just not there in your life anymore. And if that's where you find yourself right now, maybe you have a friend that feels that way. I'd encourage you to come back next week because we'll be talking to Michelle Cushat, who wrote a book about that called Relentless, right here on the 30 Second Book Club.